If you have a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, join me in the Song of Solomon, if you would. We're going to be there again as we continue our marriage series this morning. We're going to wrap up the series next Sunday. Um, so we're hoping to, to continue it today and then complete it next Sunday morning. I do also want to encourage you, if you've never been baptized, you're considering baptism, you've come to know Christ, but you've never made that public declaration through baptism, boy, I really want to encourage you to do that. You know, I was thinking about it, you know, if you've ever been to a sports event where they sing the national anthem, right, you usually stand and you sing the national anthem, and that doesn't make you an American citizen, right, but it's a moment where you, out of gratitude you participate, you, you declare publicly your gratitude for this nation, and you declare your allegiance once again through that. Now, singing baptism is a lot like uh, at a sporting event, standing and singing the national anthem. It's that opportunity where publicly you get to declare your gratitude for what Christ has done for you on the inside, and also publicly declare your allegiance to follow Christ. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't been baptized, you've come to know Christ, whether it's been in the last year, the last several years, and, and you've never taken that step of obedience of following Christ in baptism, boy, please, I seriously want to encourage you to do that. And I would say, why not? What's keeping you from doing that? There's no reason to not follow Christ in baptism if you know him. Um, because he is greatest, and we want to commit our lives to him and show that um, publicly through baptism. Song of Solomon, we're going to be there in a moment, but as I begin, I want to share with you a little story. This past Wednesday, I was on my way to a pastor's meeting in Indianapolis, and while driving, I thought, you know, we have a little issue in our home going on, and we have a home warranty, so I thought I'd make the phone call on the trip to our home warranty service to correct the issue, and so I call the number, I go through all the automated prompts, and maybe this is familiar to you. You hear the automated prompts, and then you get there, and then you get this infamous response, right? And, and it, the response that I got on this call was, your call is important to us. Please stay on the line, and a representative will be with you shortly. That's great the first time you hear that. But for the next 30 minutes, I probably heard that 15 or more, or more times as I waited on hold. And as I was thinking about that, I'm thinking, I can't believe this. I'm on hold for 30 minutes, and they keep telling me my call is important to them. No, it's not. My call is not important to you. And I, mean, I was actually verbalizing this out loud while I'm driving. No one else is in the car, so it's safe to do that. I'm like, my call isn't important to you. If it were, you would have picked up by now, or you would have hired enough people so you didn't have to wait 30 minutes for you to answer my call. All right, and, and as I got thinking about that, thinking about what we're talking about this morning, I wondered, does that situation for some of you describe what it feels like when you try to communicate with your spouse right you're trying to get through you're wanting to talk things out but the other just kind of gives you this vibe like hey your call's important to me all right your call's important to me but just stay on the line and we'll have a representative with you shortly all right and so does that kind of how it feels sometimes maybe when you try to communicate with your spouse there you know you it feels like you're just not important enough for them to pick up and to talk. Communication or the lack of communication or miscommunication is one of the primary areas of marital conflict. Uh, we talked about one of the areas is the sexual relationship, and we'll talk about that next Sunday. The other area primary for marital conflict is finances. This is the third one, not necessarily in that order, but communication or the lack of communication or miscommunication, learning how to communicate um, is one of the primary areas that leads to marital conflict in relationships. Either he talks, she doesn't. She talks, he doesn't. They both talk, but they don't talk to each other. They know how to talk to the kids. They know how to talk to people at work. They know how to talk to neighbors, but they somehow don't know how to communicate 
with one another. And when it comes to talking with each other, sometimes there's this breakdown. And we experienced that early on in our marriage. We still struggle at times today, even just recently, going on a walk, having conversation about miscommunication between the two of us. But it was really highlighted early um, in our marriage. I wanted Andrea just to share a little bit about some of those communication struggles that we had early on in our marriage. When Mark and I, is it on? Yeah. When Mark and I were first married, we thought, I thought that you could not have had two more like perfectly matched people. Um, we both came from believing homes. We both came from ministry homes. Um, you know, we we both really wanted to make this thing work, and you know, we were so in love. And, um, I mean, I just really thought, okay, we're going to have a few issues, but, you know, oh, my goodness. The first year, especially, we really had a lot of conflict. And, interestingly enough, it was over how different that our upbringings were. And um, I, I think when I look back on it, too, a lot of it was what our families valued. And, for me, it was it was a good versus bad, like my way was good and his way was bad, and I was like, this is just, you know, and, and I'll, I'll just tell you exactly what it was, because that's what it was for us, was our family dynamic and, and how we valued family time and how we viewed TV time and spending hours watching football. <laughs> I didn't say that, um, but, but just... Spending and, hours watching <laughs> football. And you've got to understand, I grew up in um, a missionary home where I went to boarding school. All of our ki- the kids went to boarding school. So whenever we got together and whenever our family was together, family time was highlighted. Like, because it wasn't, it was not like we were just around each other all day, every day. So, you know, when the family got together, it was like, I mean, my parents really made us feel like, our kids are home, this is cause for celebration, and we would have intentional family time. And, and of course, I think because living in Brazil at, at the time, we didn't really have a TV, and we didn't have, you know, just a lot of the stuff that he grew up with. So um, we really struggled with that because for me, I saw it as he did not want intentional time together um, or, you know, how could you spend all this time doing this instead of this time together? And I would even say, I, in trying to verbalize, I would say, um, but we're not, we're not together. We're not being together. He was like, we are together. You're sitting on the couch next to me. Like, he really, truly didn't understand that. And so I remember feeling feelings of anger and sometimes just even, you know, bitterness. Like, I... I can't believe this is what I married, and, and this is not going to change. Like, you know, obviously over-dramatized. But um, I do remember along the way realizing that he can't change what he grew up with any more than I can change what I grew up with, and that just because there aren't things that we can work on together to be like this is what we want does not mean that necessarily that was wrong and mine was right it was more I had to realize this is who I married this is who he is and of course there's a lot of wonderful qualities about him but that this was something that I 
that I was going to have to to realize that this is just where we're different, and this is where we valued things different or grew up that way, and this is something we're going to have to work on. So that's just a small example of so many different things. Um, but I did know that these were things we were going to have to really communicate on, and we did. Um, and Mark grew up in a home that didn't communicate yeah. when there was conflict. I was going to say, I mean, for her family, our families are very different as far as how we communicate. My family, it was totally cool, I mean, just sit in the room for hours and not talk and just watch a movie or watch TV, and no one thought that we didn't. I mean, it was just like that was how we grew up. That was family night to us was sitting in front of a television watching a game or watching a movie or whatever and no one talking and no one thought oh man they don't love me because they're not talking to me it's just that's how we can com- communicate it I guess okay but with her family completely different talk conversation you know and even still to this day even when we go to the both sets of families it's completely different how we communicate and so that bringing those two different types of communication into a marriage relationship can create conflict Right? And as she said, it's not one's better than the other. It's just different ways of communication. What can often happen then is that that goes on, and then there's no communication at all between us to even talk those things out. Um, do you want to share anything else? Well, I just wanted to say I was an, um, an over-communicator. I still am. And I would communicate with volume. And because that is even still in our family, when there's something we disagree on or debate on, the levels of our voices go up. And for him, he was like, whoa, you know, for a family that just did not communicate over conflict. So I've had to learn how to communicate and to keep the level of the volume down, but also to let him process. And he's had to learn to address when I want to communicate and that I need to have some kind of response. So we've both had to grow and still are continuing. Yeah, and all, we say all this, say we don't have, it's, it's not perfect, okay? I mean, we still struggle, even just the other day. We went on a walk, and it's still struggle with communication or miscommunication, all right, with different things. So we're, we're in this journey with you, but we've seen the grace of God really begin to pour out in our relationship over this, this need of, of learning how to communicate with one another. You see a quote there by Dennis Rainey. He's the founder of Family Life. He says, good open communication is the top need in marriage. Nothing is as easy as talking. Nothing is as difficult as communicating. Um, Using words correctly and skillfully is an important part of communication, but even more important is that both husband and wife have a willingness to communicate in ways that result in deeper honesty and openness. And one of your homework assignments, if you will, this week is on the back of this paper. Um, You see, if you're married, 10 questions to ask your wife, 10 questions to ask your husband, and I would encourage you, um, if you're married, to, to go through that this week and ask those questions together. Um, so what creates communication breakdown? What often creates communication breakdown is, in many cases, our own sinful pride, all right, our own selfishness. Um, sometimes there's communication breakdown because of differences of opinion or differences maybe in, in managing money or parenting, things like that. But often, the fruit of most conflicts in communication can be traced back to the root of our own sinful pride and selfishness. Um, Proverbs 13.10, Solomon said, Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Matthew 15, Jesus himself said in verses 18 through 19, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. So in your communication, if you're communicating to one another and there's harsh words, 
there's bitterness in your words, there's anger in your words, really what that reveals is a heart issue, not just a verbal issue. A heart issue, not just a communication problem. That's what Jesus is saying. There's something inside your heart that's causing you to say these things, that's causing you to lash out with verbal attack or bitterness or anger or whatever. And so a lot of times... The problem in communication breakdown stems from our own pride, our own selfishness. John Henderson, I talked about this book a couple weeks ago. He wrote the book Catching Foxes. He says, fights in marriage tend to linger because our pride lingers. How true is that? The real and difficult task in resolving our marital disputes biblically involves seeing through the many topics of dispute in order to deal with the issues of the heart beneath. What he's saying is really those issues of communication, breakdown, or barriers, really it's something deeper. A lot of times it's, a, it's our own selfishness. And even after our conversation the other day, you know, I'm like, there's that part of me that wants me, I'm right, I want to I win, right? I, I, I'm right in this. Then I get in the Word and the Spirit convicts me, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm a loser. It's my own sin, it's my pride, right? Because that's really where it stems from. And so this morning, as we continue our Song of Solomon marriage series, I want us to look kind of from a bird's eye view at this couple and how they communicate with one another. And so this morning, I just want to talk through some principles for communication in marriage. And hopefully, Andrew and I will share some practical things along the way as we talk through this. So the first principle, as we see here from the Song of Songs, these aren't in any necessary order as most important, but these are at least four principles that I see coming from this couple as it relates to how to communicate in marriage is the first principle is this. Compliment and affirm your spouse to your spouse. This is nothing new. We've talked about this from the very beginning. God's desire for a husband and wife is that a a husband desire his wife and that he declare and affirm his love to and for his wife and the same for the wife toward her husband. But a principle that you're going to see all throughout the Song of Solomon between this husband and wife is they compliment and affirm each other to one another. If you look at chapter 5, verses 10 through 16 of Song of Solomon, the wife is affirming and complimenting her husband, and she reads or she says, My beloved, chapter 5, verse 10, My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold, his locks are wavy, black as raven, his eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold. This is what Andrea recites to me every day. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon. Choice is the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, she says, and this, I love this, is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. So she's praising him. She's complimenting him. And then you see his response in chapter 6, verses 4 through 10. And look, he's specifically now saying this to her. He says, You are beautiful as Terza, my love, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. When she walks into room, there's this presence that she has to him. Turn away your eyes from me, for they overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. You've got to understand the culture here to appreciate that. But your teeth are like a flock of ewes that have come up from the washing. All of them bear twins. She has all her teeth. Not one among them has lost its young. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. 
And there are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. There's lots of ladies out there, but my dove, my perfect one, is the only one. The only one of her mother, pure to her who bore her. The young women saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines also, and they praised her. There's something unique about you. Even other women talk about you and praise you. And he says in verse 10, Who is this who looks down like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? And so what we see here is in their communication, they're not afraid to compliment or affirm their love for one another to one another. And all throughout this eight-chapter song, you see that chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 4, and continuing, we see this husband and wife giving verbal compliments and genuine verbal praise to one another. They, They affirm their character, each other's character, their physical features, their work, their constant praise, there's constant compliments. And we've heard this before, but let me ask you this question. How are we doing at that? When's the last time, husbands, you complimented your wife, you praised your spouse, you you affirmed her to her? It's so easy to just go day through day and just forget all the little things that they do or the little things that they are. And although we know this, sometimes we're not very good at putting it into practice. And ladies, when's the last time, wives, you, you, you complimented or affirmed your husband for who he is and what he does and how he provides you know, I wonder what would happen if you're, in your marriage or in marriages today if spouses were committed to giving daily verbal praise and affirmation to one another every day. If you just knew that today, that was one of the things I'm committed to is, is praising my spouse, is affirming my spouse. Imagine what that might do to your marriage, to your relationship. Dennis Rainey says this, many couples would improve their relationships if both partners would use words that are gentle and full of encouragement and praise. In marriage, partners need to affirm each other often, and we see that in this couple in the Song of Songs. Anything you want to add? Well, I was just going to mention that I am sure that this bride in Song of Solomon did not feel all of these things every day, and because we all know we're imperfect, and, you know, we see each other not on our best, you know, and I, I am assuming... That when she says those things that, and my point in saying that is, I think sometimes we need to find things to affirm our spouses with. Um, We need to find things that are lovely or things that, you know, look for those things so that you can affirm. Um, Because I'm sure that they didn't feel that way all the time about each other, but that they chose to affirm each other anyway. Um, the second principle is this compliment and affirm your spouse in public, in public. It's interesting to me as, as you look at chapter one and, and we all throughout the psalm, you have this marriage is not in isolation. There's actually this other group of people that's observing this marriage relationship. And, and they're, so what, what's happening here between this husband and wife, their verbal compliments, their conflict is being witnessed by a community being witnessed by others. In chapter 1, verse 4, you have this, at the latter part of it, you have this group of people. They say, we will exalt and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. Then verse 11, chapter 1, they say, we will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. And then in chapter 5, they they say again, they speak out after hearing the compliments of this husband and wife toward one another. They say, eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. and sense of, Get a room. They're like, good grief, you guys love each other. It's so obvious. 
All right, that you that you care about one another. All right, in verse eleven of chapter four, and verse or that's verse one of chapter five. Then verse nine, they speak out again. What what is your beloved more than any other beloved, O most beautiful among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved that you thus adjure us? They're questioning why is he so important to you? Why is he's how is he so different from all the others? So they're witnessing this conflict that this couple is having. And then in chapter 6, verse 1, they say, Where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? So here you have this, this group of people. They're watching this marriage. They're, they're watching this husband and wife. They're observing them, how they compliment one another, how they affirm one another. They're observing how they handle conflict. And then they, they come alongside this couple to say, How can we help you find him so we can help bring restoration to your relationship? And I think there's something here for us that your marriage is not, not in isolation. People are watching your marriage. If you have kids, obviously they're watching your marriage. And there's something so much bigger going on here in this relationship than just you and your spouse getting along. Your marriage is a display of the gospel and the glorious love of Christ. Ephesians 5 tells us this. There's a heavenly mission about your marriage. And I think the friends here remind us that there's a higher purpose for your relationship than just your own happiness. It's actually to reveal the unconditional love of Christ toward us as sinners. And so how you communicate in your relationship toward one another communicates something about Jesus to those watching. How you talk to your spouse, if you raise your voice, the words that come out of your mouth is communicating something, especially to those children if you have them in your home, communicating something to them about what you think about Jesus and what Jesus thinks about them. And for those watching your marriage, those maybe at work or in your neighborhood or whatever, even your community, your living community, they're seeing something about Jesus and what you think about Jesus and the way you communicate to one another. And what's interesting to me is that this couple was not afraid to be vulnerable with their community. They weren't afraid to share their conflict and struggles. It makes me think of 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul writes about the body of Christ. When one member suffers, everybody suffers. When one member rejoices, everybody rejoices. Listen, some of you need to go to your community and say, help us. We are drowning in our relationship. Pray for us. Come around us. We need accountability. Help us. That's right. That's what you should do. Your marriage is not meant to be in isolation. You need the body of Jesus, the the body of Christ to come around you, to help you, to encourage you. There's no shame in that. One of the first steps of healing is revealing, is getting the help you need in your relationship so that as a husband you can love your wife like Christ and as a wife you can love your husband as the church loves Christ. And so you need to compliment and affirm your spouse in public. And you see that they're they're not afraid to be vulnerable. They they look to the community and the community is willing to come alongside them in their relationship. So what can this look like specifically or practically? Listen, when you're in public, husband and wives compliment one another, don't criticize. Compliment one another, don't criticize. Even I can be sarcastic a lot of times when we're in in a group setting or whatever and not even realize that sometimes my sarcasm is about her and it can, it can make her, it can demean her. It can put her down. I'm not intending to do that, but just to get going, get on a roll, right? And over here, she's like, well, thank you. I was the butt of your joke. Thank you. You know, I mean, I'm like, oh, I did. It. Oh, sorry. You know, all the, it's like, so you got to be careful. Don't, don't criticize. Compliment. We see that in this couple. Defend your spouse. Don't disgrace them. 
especially around family situations, right? Or their family or her family. Maybe it's just, listen, you defend your spouse. You are one. In public, be affectionate with one another, right? Show people that you're in love. Hold hands, hug, kiss. Yes, it's gross to the kids, to the people watching, all right? But it's putting the gospel on display, all right? It is. Compliment and affirm your spouse in public. There's nothing more awkward when you're in a room and the husband and wife are just like criticizing each other and you're, you're all like sitting there, this is just awkward, right? What do you do? You're like, man, he's just mean to her. And the, do you see, she just, listen, if you want to put the gospel on display, show Jesus the need for Christ, how we communicate and compliment and talk about one another and spouses in public does amazing things to put the gospel on display. Anything you want to share? Third principle. Communicate through conflict with forgiveness and grace. Communicate through conflict with forgiveness and grace. In chapters 5 and 6, we see this, this Song of Songs couple go through this conflict. And it happens to be that there's this tension between what the wife is wanting and what the husband is wanting. And now in that moment of conflict, she doesn't run from him or avoid the conflict. She runs to him. She runs to him through that conflict. And then he runs and he comes back with forgiveness and grace. In chapter 6, verse 1, look at what she says near the, the end there. Or the friends are like, where's your beloved gone? Let us, let us seek him with you. They're seeing that there's a conflict. What can we do to help? And then she pursues him. She goes after him. And somehow between chapters 5 and chapter 6, verse 4, there's this there's this forgiveness and grace because of his response to her. He just keeps complimenting her and praising her. And this is very opposite of what you're going to feel in conflict. Very opposite. Right? And when you're in conflict, man, there's a sense of self-defense. You want to defend yourself and praise yourself. And maybe you're right. But then the, the volume level goes up. And so running to communicate about conflict or running to your spouse through the conflict is not easy. Especially, I'm just speaking personally here, especially if you grew up in a home where you just didn't talk about conflict. When there was conflict in the home, you just like avoided it and you just hoped it went away. All right? And for, for me as a guy, sometimes like, and I don't know if every guy's like this, but like we can be in conflict and like not talk about it. And three hours later, she'd be like, I, we need to talk about that. I'm like, what? We're not good? I thought, you know, but something happens in my head like, it's all good. We didn't talk about it, but I'm good with it. Are you? And to her, we haven't moved on from it, right? There's still this conflict that we have to communicate through this. So communicate through conflict with forgiveness and grace. And there's differences. We're both different in how we communicate through conflict. Right? I, I'm more, it's more difficult for me to talk in conflict, to, to describe what I'm feeling. For her, she's, it's not. She, she's very verbal and can get it out what she's feeling. It takes me longer time. And so for her, sometimes she just has to be patient <laughs> because I'm like, I'll even say it. I don't even know what to say right now. Because I, I don't. I know I need to be talking this out, but I don't even know have the words to communicate. And so it requires on her end to be patient, but on my end it requires me to just to talk, to communicate. I don't know if you want to share anything there. Well, I was just thinking um, to be able to, to get to the place where you can have these conversations through conflict, I feel like there has to be an ongoing um, how to explain it there has to be um you you have to have established through your marriage every day this um ground 
where you can communicate through conflict. And I feel like you're always either putting up walls or you're tearing them down. I just feel like that's just a daily thing. So, you know, when your spouse um, apologizes for something and you're constantly, well, whatever, you know, or you brush them off, um, that's another block in the wall. Or if, you know, you're, you're not willing to listen um, and you're, you know, you've just communicated that you don't have time, there's another block in the wall. Or, you know, um, when they're vulnerable about something and immediately you start telling them how to figure it all out instead of just listening, there's another block in the wall. Then when there's a big need for communication, it's a little hard. So it's kind of like trying to constantly keep those blocks from building up by um, keeping a very um, open, non-judgmental um, field where a person can feel safe to communicate. And so it's um, kind of keeping those lines open, being able to, when they share their feelings, to listen, to not be so quick to, um, you know, to, to, to fix it, or, but to, to have this groundwork so that when times of conflict come, you can communicate freely. And, and also being close contributes to that, too, by asking how that person is doing in their day and, and trying to keep that level of emotional intimacy there so that you can communicate through conflict. I mean, that's a really, you've got to constantly be working on that field so that communication can happen, especially throughout the difficult times. I mean, we, we'll be married 22 years. We still have to work on this. Still difficult at times. So this is not an easy process. Um, if you go to Ephesians chapter 4, and so what's this look like? Just to quickly go through some of these. Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. If you want to turn there, um, I just kind of want to read through these verses and talk through them. So, so what's this look like practically? Um, Ephesians 4, 25, Paul writes, and I think there's some good principles here as it relates to communication. Um, he says, therefore, verse 25 of Ephesians 4, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Listen, you can't have great communication if there's not truthfulness, if you're hiding things, if there's not honesty. It's going to be very difficult to have honest, good, vulnerable, transparent communication if you're not being honest with one another. And that, that's the foundation. That, that's right there is, is putting away falsehood. Some of you need today to today go to your spouse and you need to confess some things that have been going on and you need to build that establishment of trust through your truth. All right, with each other. So put away falsehood, speak the truth. Then just something practically, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Just a commitment we made as a couple, getting married, no one sleeps on the couch. No one sleeps on the couch. We are going to make sure before the day is over, we're going to resolve any conflict that we have in our relationship. No, one, that's not, no one's going to do that in our home. We're not going to go to bed angry and somebody sleep on the couch and all that. We're going to just resolve to make sure we talk through our conflict. So don't avoid the conflict. Pursue your spouse about it. No one sleeps on the couch. Don't bottle up problems. This is all under what, it, what does it look like. Deal with the problems swiftly. Um, second there, be slow to speak, quick to listen. James 1.19, some great wisdom as it relates to communication. Great wisdom as it relates to communication. Be slow to speak, quick to listen, or quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Um, and so... Don't go to bed angry. Give no opportunity to the devil. Verse 27 of Ephesians. Um, let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work, 
Listen, when you're talking, when you're communicating, don't interrupt each other when the other's talking, which can be quick. You can be quick to do, or you can be quick to try to like answer the other, your spouse's, oh, yo, so you, yeah, so th- no, just let him finish or let her finish. Let her say what she needs to, needs to say. Um, seek to validate or confirm what your spouse is saying. Just in a, think of just even recently, right? There was this misunderstanding. She was assuming I meant something by a statement. I, and I was like, no, 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 it's not what I meant at all. So you got to validate, confirm. So is this what you're saying? Is this what you mean? No, this is what, okay. All right. So a lot of times we respond thinking we understand what the other person meant, and that's not what they meant at all. So you need to seek to validate, confirm your spouse's questions and concerns. Rather than say, you are, say, I feel. I feel that this is something that's, that you're doing that's kind of like hurting me or whatever, that kind of thing. Rather than, well, you are always this or you are always that. You're putting it back on yourself. Um, attack the problem, not each other. Uh, remember how you talk to each other can, can grieve the Spirit of God. Be quick to offer grace and forgiveness. You see that in chapter 4, verses 31 through 32. Let all bitterness and wrath uh, and anger and clamor be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to each other, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. So be forgiving. Model Christ and His forgiveness. Um, forgiving doesn't mean, to you're condoning an action. Right, by forgiving, you're not saying, well, okay, it was okay what you said to me. No, but by your forgiveness, you're saying, I am affirming that I'm going to love you regardless of how you treat me. And when you do that, when you forgive like that, you're proclaiming the gospel because that's how Christ forgives us. Divorce is never on the table. It's never in the conversation. It's never brought up. Um, this is just something that we committed to early on. Jesus said, what God has brought you together, or the, what God has brought together, let no man separate. Let no man separate. That also, no man can involve yourself, can mean you. And we either take Jesus seriously about this or not. Um, yes, divorce happens because of the hardness of our own hearts. Jesus talks about that. But he doesn't give us as an option just because things start to break down. All right, so you need to be careful about communicating divorce and, and talking about that in your marriage. Because as soon as you put it on the table, what you're saying is the God who brought you together is not strong enough to keep you together. And this is primarily for couples where both know Jesus Christ. So keep that in mind. Fifth, pray together. You have an enemy, fight together, not each other. Any thoughts, comments on those? Just one little thing I wanted to mention about communication too. When someone says to you, when you did that, that's how you made me feel. Um, and it's very like, no, I didn't do that. But to actually realize or apologize for the fact that whatever it was that you did or said, in their mind, it was hurtful. Whether you're like, well, I don't, you know. But to acknowledge that and seek forgiveness, um, it will pay off in the end if you are seeking to resolve these things. Fourth principle, be open, transparent, vulnerable, and honest. We saw the honest part in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. But in this Song of Songs couple, you see this incredible openness and transparency and vulnerability. Uh, in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, she talks about how she's very dark but lovely. Um, Do not gaze at me, she says, because I am dark, verse 6, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyard, but my own vineyard I have not kept. She's being very vulnerable with her husband, saying, because of what I do and my situation, I haven't even been able to take care of myself. 
And she's sharing this with him, and she's, she's being open and vulnerable um, with her husband. And then he's doing the same, and you see this in chapters, uh, chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, and he talks about this vulnerability in the sense of his desire, your two breasts, verse 5 of chapter 4, are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. I mean, he's very honest and open about what he's desiring, all right? And he's sharing this with her. And there's this honesty, there's this openness, this vulnerability with each other. Um, but all this, all, all this honesty and openness and vulnerability goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 2, where it describes a husband and wife, says they were naked and they felt no shame. That's only possible because their identity was not wrapped up in their spouse, but in Jesus Christ. They weren't looking to their spouse to affirm them or find their identity or their approval. They, they already had that in who God had made them in his image. Dennis Rainey says, communicating effectively begins with discovering transparency. And transparency in marriage is described in Genesis before the fall. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So go back over those principles quickly. Compliment and affirm your spouse to your spouse. Compliment and affirm your spouse in public. Communicate through conflict with forgiveness and grace. Be open, transparent, vulnerable, honest. Just imagine if we committed as husbands and wives, those of us who are here this morning married, just imagine if we committed to implementing these principles into our marriage consistently. Imagine what that would do for your marriage. Imagine what that would proclaim to those watching your marriage. So I want to ask, why do this? Why focus? Why communicate this? Why spend the time working on these principles for communication in marriage? Here's why. Jesus looks at his people, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, and he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. God himself is verbally describing and talking to his people, and he's verbally using words to tell them that he loves them. And so when you verbally communicate love to your spouse, you are putting God on display. You're expressing love the same way God expresses love to his people. When you verbally communicate praise and affirmation to your spouse. Why work on this communication? Because when you compliment, when you praise your spouse, you put the public love of Jesus on display. Jesus looks at his disciples in the upper room hours before his death, and he says this to them in John 15, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus is telling his disciples that he loves them, and he's telling them together. They're all together. And listen, the cross was not, didn't take place in an isolated corner. It happened publicly. God publicly expressed his love for us. And when we publicly uh, elevate our spouses and communicate love to our spouses in public, it communicates something to those watching about the love and gospel of Jesus. And when in conflict you pursue your spouse rather than run, you show the committed pursuing love of Christ that he has not only for his church but for, your, for the spouse. You show the gospel. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is when Jesus has just prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's had this conflict with Judas betraying him. He's had this conflict of emotion with the Father in the garden. He knows there's a conflict to come on the cross. He's about ready to bear the judgment for the sins of his people and be separated from, from the Father on the cross. And he says this in Mark 14, 41, 42. Here comes this band of people coming and he says, rise, let us go. And he doesn't run away from it. He runs to it. He runs into the conflict. 
Listen, the moment you go after your spouse to seek or offer forgiveness, to make things right, you're putting the gospel on display. The moment you pursue, the moment you go after in those moments of conflict, you put the gospel, you put the love of Christ on display. So as we close, how do you do this? <laughs> right? How do, you, how do you put this kind of communication in practice? Go to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come at this time. John chapter 15. So how is this kind of communication possible? And I know we're going to sound like a broken record when we give the answer here. But it is so true. John chapter 15. Jesus says this. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Verse 2 now. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. And whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Don't expect to put these principles into practice apart from the gospel, apart from abiding in Jesus Christ. Listen, people say that if you want to learn a foreign language, the best thing you can do is go immerse yourself in the culture where that language is spoken. If you want the words of grace and forgiveness and Christ to come out of your mouth, you've got to spend time with Jesus. You've got to immerse yourself in the person of Jesus Christ. You have to abide in Christ, he says. You can't do this without the Spirit of Christ inside you. It takes the Word of Christ or the Spirit of Christ inside you to give you the self-control you need to speak kind words to your spouse. It takes the Spirit of God inside you to give the grace to listen and be patient when you want to lash out. It takes the Spirit of God in you to offer forgiveness for the millionth time, even if a millionth is a word. All right, It takes the Spirit of God in you to remind you that you're a sinner, a sinner in need of daily grace. Listen, you can't do this apart from Christ because... the. The fruit of most conflicts in marriage stems from the root of our own selfishness. We need something stronger than our own sin to give us the grace we need to offer grace through our words to and with our spouse. And Paul said this, Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Jesus is stronger. The gospel is stronger than your sinful pride. And that is good news. And so I have to ask you a question. Do you have the power of the gospel in you? Do you have the spirit of Jesus inside you? If not, right now where you sit, receive him and he will come in to you, forgive you of your sin and give you his power to live these principles out through his spirit. But let me ask you, if you have this reality, you have Christ in you, the spirit of God in you. Are you living in that reality, guys? Are you living in that reality? Are you abiding in Christ I'm amazed at how many people that know Christ, we spend very little time abiding with Christ in the Word. And then we wonder why we struggle with our own sinful pride. I want you to turn to the screen and I want to read a prayer for us. It comes from Ephesians 4 and I want to wrap this, our, our morning up by saying this. Would you stand with me? I want you to make this your prayer this morning as it relates to your relationship. And as it relates to abiding in Christ, if you're here and you're not married, listen, the 
best thing you can do, if God's plan is for you to be married someday, the number one thing you can do right now to prepare is for you to abide in Jesus Christ, to immerse yourself in Jesus Christ. And as couples, as married couples, this is our prayer. Father, let no corrupting talk come out of my mouth, but what is good for building up my spouse. May my words give grace and not grieve you, Holy Spirit. Remove all bitterness, wrath, anger, slander, and harsh words from my speech. Give me the daily grace to be kind to my spouse, tenderhearted and forgiving, because you, God, in Christ, have forgiven me. And because Christ is stronger, because His grace is stronger, we then can live out that strength in how we communicate to our spouses. Father, thank you for this time. Help us as we go from here, as we sing this song. Lord, may it resonate in our hearts, knowing that it's not in our strength, but in your strength, that we can have a marriage, even in how we communicate, that displays your grace, that displays your gospel, not only to our spouses, but to a watching world. Amen.